0: This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're embarking on the Great Dinner Challenge in episode number 146. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to be here to talk with you today about an experiment that our family did over the summer that I felt was wildly successful and that we are even continuing to some extent today. I don't know how many of you feel frustrated with kids being picky eaters or how many of you feel frustrated about family dinners. I was in that place. I felt like our family dinners were kind of chaotic. And while I felt like I had managed to get our older kids through any picky eater phase relatively quickly, and they were robust eaters, some of our younger kids were really picky to the point where it was driving me crazy. Now, I learned a concept this year about bottlenecks and I actually might do a podcast episode on bottlenecks. But a bottleneck is basically something that's, you know, it's causing a problem and it's holding things back. And so what I learned was to look at your life and identify bottlenecks and then decide which one of those you were going to work on. So the first thing that I worked on was was getting our family back on a schedule after coronavirus and the quarantine really shook things up, but it could happen for any number of reasons throughout life, a new baby arising, arriving or that sort of thing. So we got back on schedule and I worked on getting my kids uh, being more diligent on their chores. Those were the first couple things I worked on. But then I realized that the next thing that I really wanted us to work on was dinners. And I will admit that I bit off maybe more than I could chew, but you know, God's faithful uh, and I believe that he blesses good intentions, and especially when we look at the family and how important the family is to society. Uh, I think that there, you know, there are blessings for working on on the family, uh, and there are resources out there because others realize the value of the family. So when I say that I bit off more than I could chew, I was thinking, okay, we've got picky eaters, our dinners feel a little bit chaotic, and I would like. To change that so that family dinners at least are smoother. That's what I really focused on, was not so much worrying about breakfast and lunch, though at this point I've gotten to where I'm really working on those times as well. But at first it was just dinners because I just wanted that time as a family. We know that there are profound benefits to young people, uh, children, teenagers, if there are regular family meals. In fact, We know that one thing that can overcome trauma, instability, poverty, lack, all of those things that we know today are markers for what causes children to struggle and then subsequently causes people to struggle as adults, having that in their history. Basically, a low socioeconomic status is the biggest marker for for difficulty for children as they become adults. It transcends everything else. And we know that family dinners, this is this is mind blowing, y'all, and I think it's really important. We know that regular family dinners can actually help overcome those effects. So the thing that has the most profound effect on a child's future, which is their socioeconomic status, that can be overcome, some of those challenges can be overcome significantly just by having a family dinner. So when you look at that and you say to yourself, all these other things, all these other traumas and difficulties that can happen to kids, really the toughest is growing up in poverty, but family dinners can overcome that. And and is it the nutrition? Is it the food? Is it the relationship? I think it's the anchor, right? So it's very important, and as I've been, you know, because I'm, I'm always researching pregnancy and birth and and babies and child development and toddlers and all of this and that so um you know developmental psychology all of that is of interest to me so you know as I'm doing all of this and thinking about my own family and it's like okay we've been through some tough times and how do we work on that how do we bring back some family togetherness after things were difficult for a while all sorts of things that happen over the course of a normal lifetime, all families experience times of crisis and stress and trauma and need to reconnect. And what's something that can anchor effectively. The family dinner is an effective anchor. So, you know, that's, that's what I felt like I wanted to work on but I didn't realize that in choosing that one thing I was going to be looking at a lot more so when I chose that I want to get I want family dinners to be the anchor for our family I didn't realize that okay well we're looking at a lot of things first of all We're looking at having gone through a time when things were difficult, and so I wasn't cooking as much as I normally was, or I wasn't doing the kind of cooking that I had done before, more shortcuts and convenience foods. So that was one thing. Another thing was manners. I realized that my kids, from the smallest to the biggest, needed to work on table manners. Cleanliness, which kind of goes with table manners, but especially with my younger kids, learning to eat neatly without making a big mess. That was something that was really important. Of course, actually eating the food, not being picky, actually trying foods. That was something that my family needed to work on. Conversation was something that needed to be worked on. And again, this is something from the oldest of us to the youngest of us. And in a big family like ours, there's a lot of dynamic. Like there's listening to the older people have a conversation even if you're small and don't understand the conversation, there's older people being, you know, gracious and saying, okay, we're going to listen to, you know, an 11-year-old carry on and on and on about the frog that he found today, even though we're not interested in that, but we're going to give him his moment. And we're going we're gonna to converse about this. So there's, you know, there's that back and forth and giving people space and talking. And in any family, There's some of that give and take dynamic and there's learning those conversation skills. So that was another component that came up. Well, I, the first kind of thing that I thought to work on, okay, sorry, ladies, brief child interruption there. Anyways, uh, so the first thing that I decided was, okay, well, how can I work on conversation? Because that was something that I knew that everybody needed to work on. And at that time, I think our library had started circulating again. So I was just browsing, what does the library have? Um, and so I think I searched for dinner time conversations or something like that. But I came across a book that piqued my interest, and I decided to check it out. And I'm so grateful that I did. So the book is Dinner the Playbook. A 30-Day Plan for Mastering the Art of the Family Meal, and a Cookbook. So, man, it is like a mouthful for the full title. But if you look at the cover of the book, it's a yellow book, shows white silverware on the cover, and it's called Dinner the Playbook. So in my slang vernacular, I've always called it the Dinner Playbook. But it is called Dinner the Playbook, and uh, Jenny Rosenstreich is the author. I'll put this information in the show notes so that you have it. But I checked that out because I was interested in it, and as soon as I picked it up, I realized that this outlines something that my family needs, and what it is, is a 30-day plan for mastering the art of the family meal. So it's basically a 30-day challenge, and so we embarked on the challenge, and if you feel like your dinner times could use some work, or if this podcast episode episode inspires you and you feel like... I would like to work on finding that anchor for my family and I too like the idea of a family dinner. I don't think it has to be the only thing. For example, another anchor in our family is read-alouds and reading good books together. Everybody, uh, Scott and I and then the kids, we all enjoy reading aloud and and, um, having that time as a family and having the discussions that come from there. But anyways, so that's not the only anchor, but I think it's probably the most profound anchor and uh, an enduring anchor that a family can have. So I would encourage you to consider it. And if you do, this book is a great book. Now, I will admit, it's m- much of the book is recipes. And we ended up trying a few of the recipes, but because uh, I've been trying to make sure that um, our diet is working on our diet, making our diet healthier, and um, for me, following a little bit of a lower-carbohydrate diet and that sort of thing, I mostly chose recipes from another cookbook, but the recipes that we tried from the book were great, and the foundation, the challenge of the book, the organization, all of it was really great, as well as all of the advice given therein. So reading that gave me the motivation, and it gave me a plan that I could use, and one of the big parts of the plan that I think made it most successful and most fun for our family was letting the kids choose some recipes uh, and so what I did was I just allowed each child to choose three recipes and I gave them the cookbook the cookbook that I asked them to choose most of their recipes from was the trim healthy mama cookbook their newer one um, which I I think it's trim healthy mama table or something trim healthy table I'll put that in the show show notes as well if, if you're interested. Um, but that was the one that I, that we chose most of our recipes from for the first 30 days. And then I filled in with some recipes from the dinner playbook and just some others that I knew were a couple tried and true recipes, but most of the recipes were new recipes that the kids chose. And I gave a couple guidelines. Like I said, you know, you can choose a breakfast, but most of them should be dinner time recipes. So we did end up, for example, we had uh, the trim healthy mama chocolate chip pancakes for dinner one night, which was a lot of fun fun Um, and then this we're kind of doing it again with a a few modifications right now we're in our second set of 30 days and uh, I I happen to know that sour cream I think they're waffles but I can't remember because I'm not looking at my menu plan but anyways sour cream waffles are on the menu so we've had some breakfasts for dinner but most of it was dinners but really I kind of gave them free range to choose, and then I just I listed out all recipes, and I went for thirty. So I did the three from each child. At that time, Cassidy was still home with us, so she had her three as well. Um, And then I filled in the rest with either family favorites or ones that I was interested in trying. And of course, the kids ended up picking some that I thought looked really good too. So I just pretty much went with it. And one of the things that I wanted to go for, and I'm going to talk about another book in a minute. Um, that that I read during all of this that I had read before, and it was really refreshing to go back and read again, which is French Kids Eat, Eat Everything. And I'll talk more about that one in a minute. But one of the things that that book suggests is kind of pushing the envelope with taste, and the dinner playbook talks about that too. And so even when it was something, for example, I've never been a huge fan of curries. You may be, which is cool, but I haven't been a huge fan of curries but one of my kids wanted to do a curry and so I put it down there because if I'm going to challenge them to eat more then I need to be willing to try some things too, right? So that, I think, was a really successful component. The kids all got really excited. Everyone from the littlest to the biggest kid got really excited. They wanted to know whose recipe it was for dinner every night. For the younger kids, it was exciting because on their recipe night, they knew that they would get to help me make it, and that was motivating to them. So all in all, just the framework that it gave really helped. Another thing that the book suggests, and she's actually got... When you get the book, she's got a URL that you can go to to download a PDF of this, or you can photocopy it out of the book. But kind of a report card that you keep track of every week, and you your kids get to rate the recipes, and you and your husband or whomever it is, the adults get to rate the recipe as well, giving it a letter grade and then also rating it as a keeper or not, and that. I think that really helped my kids be willing to try it because they wanted to be able to give it a letter grade and to be able to say that they had done that. So that was something really helpful. So overall, and the book had tons more ideas. For example, I actually did make a copy of a page where she talks about how to clean the fridge before you're about to go grocery shopping again. And Jenny's advice on this was just incredible because she talks about what to do like with those kind of wilty vegetables and stuff. She gives it to you step by step exactly what you should do with everything. And I found that so helpful that I put it up in the cabinet beside my fridge so that I have it as an easy reference. So just a great book. But really that framework um, and her describing the process with her own family, because she did this with her own family, really helped me know how to do it with mine. And again, I feel like it was a resounding success like I am floored by just how well it went um, and how much we enjoyed it so the next book that I read during this time was French Kids Eat Everything which is a memoir and I had read the book before um, but this time You know, I I knew that I needed to deal with picky eaters while I was going through all of this. And so I knew that Karen LeBillon's book, French Kids Eat Everything, would help me with that. So I reread that and refreshed my memory on it. And I'm so glad that I did because Karen talks a lot about taking kids who are really picky and helping them learn to be okay with tasting Um, she also talks about parents being authoritative over mealtimes. And so this was one that's really kind of come into play as we, as we move out of our initial 30 day challenge where I gave the kids a lot of leeway to choose. And then now we're in the second 30 days. And so this time I let, um, each kid choose two recipes, but we're one kid down because our oldest is at college. So each kid chose two recipes, but I did give them a little bit more freedom to pick and choose from books. Like, for example, we're in Michigan, and I found a cookbook just browsing on the library's website that is a Michigan cookbook, and that one was a lot of fun. They wanted to look through that. Um... My older boys got a cookbook that was themed for a video game that they're interested in. And surprisingly enough, the recipes are like real quality recipes. So I humored them and were eating some recipes out of that cookbook. They were especially tickled when I chose one of my recipes out of the cookbook. So anyways, we had one of those last week and I was... I was impressed with it, so I'll say that, Um, but you know, so so giving them a little bit of leeway to have freedom and, and to enjoy the excitement and the adventure of cooking and being in the kitchen, I think that's really helped everybody, and they still want to know whose recipe is this, and they still, even though we're not writing down on the sheets anymore what our grade is, they still will yell out what their grade is or what their rating is, and it's really funny, the different kids, like some of them don't get the concept of a letter grade yet, and so... They'll be like, this is a 100, 100, 100, 1,000, 1,000,000, plus, 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 plus. And then another, you know, this is an A plus. Um, And then my older kids and my, you know, my teenagers when they're grumpy and, you know, feel like they're maybe food critics or something is I will give this an A with taking off because this flavor didn't quite mingle and they're just silly. But it's a lot of fun. And again, it's anchored the family. So back to the authoritative with French kids eat everything is that in France as as Karen talks about in her book parents really drive eating decisions it's kind of like well it's like one thing that I talk about a lot in Smart Mama Happy Baby when we're parenting young children if you think about the sun it's my favorite analogy the sun comes up in the morning and it goes down in the evening and it's really just kind of neutral Regardless of how you're feeling, you may want it to stay out longer or you may want it to stay put away longer so that you can sleep a little bit more, but it does its own thing. And really, many things in parenting need to be that way, especially with small children. It's just the way that it is. We wear our shoes or our galoshes when we go jump in puddles, you know? That's the kind of thing. When we go out in the snow, we wear winter boots. Or when we go out in the snow, we put on our base layer first. So, those are just some things that come come to mind, and those sorts of just, you know, maxims of truth, which really are kind of subjective because they're based on you as a parent or what you know is best for your child, but they're still, it's just the way it is. Um, so the food is kind of like that in France from the way that Karen describes it in her book. And parents determine the menu, and she talks in the book some about letting her kids pick some food, especially snacks, but parents determine the menu, and the kids eat it, which in, you know, that second part is the part that's the real clencher, because you may think, well, I plan a menu, but my kids don't eat it. So that's the thing is, she talks about how do you get to the place where you're planning a menu, and your children are actually eating it, or trying it. And she talks about some of the things that didn't go right with her working on that with her girls after they moved to France for a year. uh, And some of the things that did go right and how she eventually got it to where they're Their culinary palates were greatly expanded, and it's just really inspiring and things that'll really help, like little phrases that kind of empower you as a parent that take the emotion out of it but help. Like it's like you don't have to like it, but you have to try it, or it's okay if you don't like it, you can take a few bites. So Sadie, my five-year-old, is still my pickiest eater. And I will use that with her because though she's doing dramatically better with all of this, I've really been impressed. And she's really impressed. She likes the positive attention that she gets when she eats well. So she knows that if she does eat well, that she's going to get some positive attention. And so she'll come and show me like today. We had um, roast chicken for lunch, which my kids were shocked that I roasted a chicken for lunch, but I needed to make stock. So. And we already had our 30 days of meals planned out without a chicken um, on there, so I roasted a chicken for their lunch today. Uh, and she was really excited to come show me that she had eaten all of her roast chicken and her roast potatoes. So anyways, but, you know, even with Sadie, she'll still be picky about some meals. There are some meals that she's just like, mm, I don't know about that. Like we made homemade sushi one night and she was like, yeah, I don't know about that. But it's like, it's okay. Um, you know, You can you can still try it. And even if you don't want to eat it, you can still take a bite. That kind of thing is the kind of thing that you'll get out of Karen's book if you read that. And I think that those little maxims really help. Another that I like is, you know... You eat until you feel satisfied. So the goal isn't to get our children to clean their plates, but everybody, I think all of us know the difference between a picky eater and, um, and forcing a kid to clean their plate. So that's not what I'm interested in, nor I'm sure is it what you're interested in, but it's having a child who's willing to try foods and who's willing to eat reasonably well. And, I know that this may be an unpopular opinion, but for me, it's important, which is you can eat it even if you don't like it. And you may not have to eat a lot of it, but I want my children to learn to eat foods that may not be their preferred foods. One of the other things that we've enjoyed is starting to invite more people over for dinner, having other families over for dinner, or couples from our church or our neighborhood over. And I know that we could end up with some reciprocal dinner invitations, though maybe not as many because our family has so many people in it. But I want my children to be okay with eating what they're served, regardless of the circumstances, and to be grateful. So there are foods that I don't prefer, but I know that I can still eat them, and that's, this is different from religious obligations or that sort of thing. Like if you've got religious guidelines or special food allergies and that sort of thing, that's different. But in general... I want them to learn to be open to eating even what may not be their preferred food. So that's something that we work on. And that's something that Karen talks a lot about in French Kids Eat Everything. Another thing that she talks about is ditching the all-day grazing and snacking. And I know that Dr. Sears would probably think that was sacrilegious because he's one of the doctors who suggested all-day grazing and snacking. But... In my experience, which at this point is basically 20 years of mothering eight children, I will say that I agree with the French and not with necessarily popular pediatrics in America today, that I don't think that grazing and constant snacking are a good thing. I don't think that using snacks to satisfy emotional needs or calm tantrums or anything like that in our kids are a good idea. And Karen's reasoning is really good. So we already didn't really have a lot of snacking because I felt that way for a long time. But it helped me just to really firm things up um, in our schedule and make sure that our meals were really nourishing so that the kids weren't being cranky and wanting to be snacky and that sort of thing. So again, the next thing that we worked on, like once we kind of had the fundamentals in place, and it took some work for me, it takes some work, Oh. One more thing from the dinner playbook that was really, really helpful is doing some food prep, as much food prep as possible in the morning. And that trick has, or tip has helped me so much with having nicer suppers that go smoother because, you know, you have to be realistic, especially on weeknights. You're not going to be able to throw a multi course meal out on the table with little effort. But you can still have a really nourishing homemade meal on the table relatively quickly if you do some prep beforehand, even if it's setting shelf stable ingredients out on the counter and just, um, and just chopping some veggies or something like that. It can be really, really helpful. And it's something that now that I've expanded to working more intentionally on our breakfasts and our lunches as well, that I've just devoted. So I have a period in the morning before the kids get up. Um, You know, I get up, I do my quiet time, chat with Scott, and then I do this, Uh, time in the kitchen just before I get the kids up when I prep their breakfast but I also work on a little bit of lunch and dinner prep and it makes such a difference and it feels really satisfying to me personally too to know that I'm preparing healthy nourishing foods and that even when I'm super busy later in the day which I am writing for natural birth and baby care recording podcasts doing all of this other stuff homeschooling the kids we're back in our homeschool year now um doing everything else that I'm doing on a day to day basis, I still know that these nourishing meals are going to get set out. And that prep work helps for me. And, And it also means that kids can come in and do some of the helping at the actual meal preparation time too, which is nice. So that's another tip. that I learned but the next thing that we worked on after really getting the meal times going and I think I was saying I interrupted myself that it did take some effort for me especially making those initial meal plans and then drawing up the grocery lists though I am loving I am loving being able to place my grocery orders online and just go pick them up I love that it makes things a lot easier for me so it means the real work is in making up writing out the meal plan making up the grocery list. Um, but then, you know, then it's, it's much easier for me just drive to the grocery store and pick up the groceries then bring them home and put them all away, which takes energy as well. But then I've got it, got the food there. And I, I've done this for a long time, but I like to do the, the lion's share of my grocery shopping once a month. And then I do a small grocery run during the week for fresh produce and dairy if necessary. Um, But I like getting all of my shelf-sable things and my meats and stuff that can go in the freezer or stuff like eggs that will keep for longer because we don't have chickens right now. So just keeping those those things that'll keep, all of that I get during the once-a-month trip. And I only restock if necessary. So that helps me too. But then after the food and getting the food going... Um, Working on mealtime manners has been something that was a big focus, and I found that pre-teaching, that's a term from Nicolene Peck at teachingselfgovernment.com. I love Nicolene's book and advice. It's just great, Um, but pre-teaching is a concept she talks about. So that means before dinner or at the beginning of dinner, we I would give the kids a reminder or a pre-teach that, okay, we're going to make sure that we eat neatly. I invested in, this was something I did, I invested in some pretty new cloth napkins for our table, which I think garnered excitement as well. So we're going to eat neatly, we're going to wipe our faces on our napkins, not on our clothes, and we're going to try and not have food on our faces. We're going to take bites that are the right size, and then even for my big kids, reminders like chew with your mouth closed, don't talk with food in your mouth, my family's biggest challenge. Those kinds of things were all things that we worked on and have worked on bit by bit. And then also working on conversation. I got a conversation deck, um, conversation starters by Gary Chapman, who is the author of the Love Languages book. If you've read those books, he's got a conversation starter deck for families. Um, Many of the questions are very neutral. Some of them do have a Christian worldview reflection, but I think that the deck is really good, and you could just omit those questions if that didn't resonate with you. But our family has enjoyed it, and I found that even if the conversation starter doesn't seem to stimulate deep conversations, because it generally doesn't, it at least gets, you know, it at least gets the family thinking um, and talking and communicating and dialoguing about, you know, it just, it, it's kind of an icebreaker, really. That's a good term for it, so I found it to be a really, really helpful tool Um, and it, you know, it just, it helps to include everybody, even the grumpy teenagers, like the little kids are often a little bit more game and bright and alive, but we'll have teenagers who are tired or who are grumpy or who are annoyed at younger siblings or annoyed at parents or that kind of thing. And and it really helps to include them. Like I mentioned, another thing is um, we've started inviting some dinner guests over here and there, and that's been a lot of fun to learn to bless them and to learn little routines that we actually do every night for the family, like having a pitcher on the table with water in it, using a serving tray to bring all the water to the table. Um, it just, it, it's just something that started for us to be able to make sure that we're serving our guests in a lovely way. We light a candle a little, we have a pillar candle in the middle of the table and we light that. And I would like to get to the place where I start working on the table centerpiece a little bit, but right now it's just that simple pillar candle. But these are things that we put in place, like hoping to create a nice atmosphere for guests. And then we've even continued them. And I feel like those traditions, uh, like Phoenix, you know, he's, he's two right now. So Phoenix, he, you know, light candle mama, light candle mama, light candle mama, you know, he wants those things in place, Um, you know, so lighting the candle, doing the conversation starter, my, you know, one of my grumpiest teenagers will say, mom, we need to do the conversation starter, we haven't done that yet, so it's, again, these traditions and routines, like, let's think about what we're going to talk to daddy about at the end of dinner, telling him about our day, that's kind of a thing that we always do, and so, those things have become treasured parts of a family meal. And like I said, we're in the second set of 30 days now. So we're not very far into this. And I already feel so good about it. And like it's made such a big difference, which is why I wanted to share it on the podcast. Another thing I was reading, there's a book, I'm still working through this book, but it's been a beautiful book. Um, And it's the life, hang on, I want to make sure that I get i to pick up the book here. Yeah, it's The Life-Giving Table by Sally Clarkson. Beautiful and inspiring book. It's just so full. And I think that reading it third in my table time books has been good because I've got a baseline established. So now I can be really inspired by Sally. But one of the things that she said in the book that I appreciated so much when she was talking about the importance of family dinners and uh, and just encouraging, using this as an anchor and, in, and making this part of your family culture, she taught about how she often felt like she was refereeing family dinners rather than conversing. And I will say that there are nights when I feel like, oh my goodness... I am refereeing around this table. We're refereeing, trying to keep these kids in check and keeping everybody calm. And okay, we're going to have a calm face, voice, and body. We're going to disagree appropriately. Those are terms, again, from teaching self-government. But it's just, you know, it's even though there are nights when when I come away from the table and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm glad we're done with another night's dinner. There are also many nights that are just beautiful and go really well. Um, and, And I'm just encouraged by Sally, who has four adult children now and is looking back on it and realizing how the table and how food and that sort of thing became something that was important to family culture and most important to family relationships. And that's where I want to get that's inspiring to me. And I'm inspired that even though there are nights when things still feel hectic and when Sadie still has managed to really only pick at her food and that sort of thing, where I know that that we're intentionally creating, we're intentionally putting in place this anchor for our family, and it's going to hold them. And I even look forward to when Cassidy comes home for um, winter break. I know that she's going to be coming back to that anchor, and it's going to be even stronger by the time she comes back. And I just think about how you know that's going to be. She's having a great time in college. She's definitely really blossoming and enjoying her freshman year, but. I'm looking forward to her coming back and just having that anchor to relax into as she prepares, you know, to go back in the spring. And, and I know going forward in future years, the chances of her doing an internship and stuff are gonna be greater and coming home are gonna be lesser. So I really I really cherish that ability. So anyways, the, I hope, especially since I have kids at this wide range of lifespan right now and, and a big family and things, I've painted a picture of a vision of how this might be something that you can consider and give you a couple of resources from really smart mamas who have gone ahead of me um, and have created something really nice for their own families and you can think about how This might be something that you can apply to your family and may really benefit you and bless you. And I do hope that you have many blessings and that the dinner table becomes a vital anchor, a place of relationship, and even perhaps in an indirect way, but a place of healing and peace and rest and nourishment and refreshment after those hectic or challenging seasons of life. It's really a beautiful thing. And it's not a lot of work once you look at some systems and some things that can help make it go smoother, which is why I love these books and these ideas. And I can do future podcasts like on my morning meal prep and that sort of thing to help you out with that. But with that, if you want more from me, head over to TrustBirth101.com. That's TrustBirth101.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter list there and get information from me. Um, about new podcasts, new blog posts. I'm putting out a lot on the blog right now. Um, And just get more from me. I, I try to send out a few emails a week with helpful tips on pregnancy, birth, baby, and mothering in general, because it's a great adventure. And with that, I hope that your adventure this week is blessed, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.